everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. I, d- right. I said we're again. I think you did say we're. I said I said we're again. That's going to bother me. Yeah. Whether I'm not going to edit you say it. we are or we're. Yeah, I know. Every time it happens, I've got to be like, what am I saying? What am I saying? I don't, what am I don't I know saying, what you're Seth? saying. My hair is a mess today. Not that is a mess today. Not that, yeah, not that anyone in Radio Land can see it. That's right. That's right. Just so if you picture my, whatever you picture I look like in your mind's eye. Probably somewhat close to one of the illustrations on the. That's right. Uh, the logo. Neither are identified. So people might think the one with the glasses is Zach and the one without the glasses is Seth. That's right. Unless they've gone to our website. Then they Unless would know. go to our website, yeah. By the way, go to our website. In the event that you are picturing me today talking to you about <laughs> classic video games, picture me to the in your mind You're just, someone's just sitting there being like, imagine if Seth just talked to me about classic video games. <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, while you're listening to today's episode, today, while you listen to it, just picture me with messy hair. In okay. all future episodes, picture me with nice hair. Usually I will say 90% of the time Seth has pretty good hair. Today's that 10%. Anyway. Welcome back to uh, episode 79 of the Classic (laughs) Gaming Brothers, which which means next episode is going to be episode... Eight zero. That's right. The big eight big zero. Deal. Before we get into today's episode, which the listener may already know, depending on how I labeled the episode, you can label it that game that Zach sucks at. That's right. <laughs> but that's at, that's pretty much all of them. That's true because we are bad at games. Speaking of games that we're bad at, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Well, Seth, recently I've been playing a little game called Days Gone <laughs> because you know I thought to myself, you know, Seth mentioned Days Gone in his Byweight Pass, and then Seth mentioned Days Gone in his recently played so i think we need a third episode where we mentioned days gone so i've been playing days gone this episode brought to you by days gone i don't even know if i should really repeat much of the stuff that seth already i literally copy and pasted his notes from last time he talked about it uh it's a game by ben studio originally for the playstation recently came out on pc I have been playing the PlayStation version because I got it for free and uh, it's a great game. I, I love a lot of the mechanics about it. I also hate a lot of the mechanics about it. So some things that I love, the motorcycles, the shooting, the zombie creatures that you encounter are kind of cool. Some things that I hate, the stealth missions, the stealth missions, and the stealth missions. So you're probably farther in the game than I am. I've played like uh- four or five hours of it yeah definitely do you eventually get a headquarters yeah so well there's like there's like camp that you go to that becomes kind of your like main camp but deacon doesn't like call it his base but everyone says hi to him like like they like they do with uh red dead with hey author yeah yeah so like he's not to spoil too much a good chunk of the story takes place out of this one camp at one point and Every time you show up, people are like, hey, it's Deacon. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just really like Red Dead Redemption. Because I feel like I feel like Days Gone, I was told, was Red Dead Redemption with motorcycle fighting zombies. Yeah, that is 100% accurate. I mean, that's I literally when I'm driving on my the motorcycle, I'm like, wow, this feels like Red Dead, except if the motorcycle was a horse. And the bandits were zombies. Uh, I mean, there's even hunting in the game. That's like an actual component where you can hunt animals um, such as deer and wolves and bears and you can trade their pelts and meat for the currency which is a credit system at the bases and you can't transfer it between other bases which is annoying but i understand it because the idea is that each base is separate from each other and you're trying to work up like a rapport with those bases and become popular within those bases so that you can get access to the things that they have So the reason why you can't just like get a crap ton of credits in one base and drive all the way to the next base and buy the things you want that the other base doesn't sell is because that would be broken. So um, the credit system is allocated to the base that you're going to, which I actually think is kind of a neat little thing. I think it kind of adds a little dystopia to it. So yeah, I've been playing Days Gone. I like it. Um, I like Deacon. I think he's a kind of schmarmy asshole my favorite thing that he does is when you hang up i don't know if you got to this point seth but sometimes you'll hear radio broadcasts from this guy named copeland who has a conspiracy theory radio station that plays on a small am transmitter and he's like this is radio free oregon telling you the truth of the world and if you 
skip it. So when the PlayStation version, you hold down a button and it skips the broadcast. Deacon's like, don't want to hear from you, Cope. <laughs> he's like, he's like, no, nah, you can shut up now. <laughs> and he just always makes a funny quip about the things that he does. I really, really like that. I think he's a very quippy man. He also mumbles to himself the entire game. <laughs> I did notice that a little bit when I was playing. Though I have not been recently, recently been playing Days Gone. I have been recently, recently been playing Star Wars Dark Forces, which Ooh. was a game that came out in 1995 by those at Arts. Yes. Prior to LucasArts being bought by Disney since it was yeah. 1995. Because LucasArts at one point in time had a game studio. And then they stopped having a game studio and had EA do their games. And then they got purchased by Disney. So in Star Wars Dark Forces, you play as resident hobo Kyle Katarn. Who <laughs> is, if you have never played any of the Star Wars Dark Forces or Jedi Knight series of games, you would not necessarily know who Kyle Katarn is. Kyle Katarn is a poor man's Han Solo or a mix-up between Dash Rendar and Han Solo because Dash Rendar is a poor man's Han Solo. Kyle Katarn is somehow simultaneously the least important and most important person in the rebellion and generally is assigned to do tasks but doesn't really feel like he wants to he grumbles the entire time complains about it and sometimes talks about working for the empire instead and i think there is actually in his history time where he did work for the empire uh-huh. he was a he was a stormtrooper currently now just a layabout dark forces is the first game in the series and i'm pretty sure is the game that introduces kyle katarn in the first game there's a couple of cinematics in the beginning of the game but then there are no more cinematics between missions there is just a debrief screen at the in the first mission you get told by mamatha to who is the red hair lady from star wars she tells Kyle, hey Kyle, go get the Death Star plans. That's his mission because it's before the Death Star plans are acquired in the first movie. So this is before episode four's Kyle Katarn goes and gets the Death Star plans to give them to Princess Leia. Actually, the game does reference Operation Skyhook, which is then seen in Rogue One many years later of what Operation Skyhook is. According to this game, Kyle Katarn was the one that got the plans, not Jin Orson, to Operation Skyhook. Maybe Kyle Katarn got it to the guy who got it, gave it to Jin. Jin got him from a big old facility. That's like the whole end of Rogue One. I thought Jin got it from that guy. No, she got a she got a letter from her dad, from him, like a video from her dad. Then she goes to the military base. They sneak in. That's right. That's right. That's right. And the guys in the in the rain. However, maybe Kyle got the wrong plans. Maybe Kyle got the wrong plans. Though according to the video game, he didn't because the Death Star immediately blows up after Kyle Katarn gets the plans. Good. <laughs> That's the first opening cinematic. And the game has many more missions after that. So then you have to go travel through. Now, this is our Dark Forces episode, and I think we already talked a lot dark about dark forces in our star wars episode so we'll probably revisit the dark forces and jedi knight series because they are a treat what i really have been enjoying with playing dark forces is that it is not really designed around mouse and keyboard it's around it's designed around keyboard and keyboard the ideal placement of your hands when playing the game is having your left hand over WASD is normal and your right hand over the numpad because you'll use uh, the nine and three key to pitch up and pitch down and you'll use the five key to level out your pitch so that you can go look forwards um, because the mouse doesn't allow you to pitch up and down in Dark Forces that I could figure out. So if you can't pitch with your mouse, then you shouldn't be using your mouse because you need to pitch to be able to shoot up and down. So that's, yeah, Star Wars Dark Forces is what I've been playing lately. So today we are talking about a game that uh, I think it hits near and dear to our hearts. Um, at least it hits near and dear to Seth's heart. I know it's a game that he likes. Um and I certainly have good memories of the franchise. Uh, and that game is Prince of Persia. So I remember the original Prince of Persia. Uh, we had some friends of the family uh, that we went over to when I was a child and Zachary wasn't born. Okay. And we went into their basement and they had their computer downstairs. 
and they had Prince of Persia. And the dad was like, oh, hey, while you're here and we do adult things, why don't you play this video game? <laughs> Sounds weird. I mean, but it's true, right? Whatever they were doing upstairs, I yeah, think they were moving taxes. something. Whatever they were doing, they set me up to play Prince of Persia, the original 1989 version of the video game. Excellent. So my memories are of the basement. I clearly remember the basement. I clearly remember the interaction we had with the dad. I remember playing the Prince of Persia, and I remember how the guy moved. And then later in life, we uh, got the a prince of persia 3d which is a, one of the future editions of the game from a, a demo somewhere so we could play a little bit of prince of persia and it was really cool because i had those memories of the original P prince of persia which is not in 3d and hence 3d being part of the title of prince of persia 3d i think it was also the third so i think they were being fun with it being prince of persia 3d yeah. That game was a joy for the whatever 10, 15 minutes that you're allowed to play in it. Uh, you were allowed like one or two levels and it was cool. And I always liked demos and I really wanted to buy the game and we never did. I don't think I, to this day, I don't think I've beaten that game. Maybe, maybe I should pick that game up and play through it or something or see if I can get it working on like a, an emulate, like my uh, Raspberry Pi or something. Yeah. Um, For my memories of the game, I was introduced to Prince of Persia at least what I remember being introduced was via Prince of Persia 3D, the 3D game. I was That's how I was introduced to the franchise of Prince of Persia, I should say. I remember we had the game on the demo disc, and I remember some other random titles. I don't actually remember what else was on that disc. I do remember watching Seth play the demo disc, and I never played Prince of Persia, probably because I was too little. I do remember there was this one trap where your character's head would get chopped off by a spinning saw blade if you didn't dodge it correctly. Like, you had to roll through the door but if you walked through the saw blade would trigger and your character's head would just like fall off it was really i remember being very blocky looking where like it would just like drop off without any blood yes that was it was just like flop off yeah very suddenly too now for og prince of persia i think i first played it when i downloaded a fan-made dos port of the game called 4d prince of persia which was available one of my favorite websites growing up as a kid which is still in operation but they don't have downloads anymore and that is home of the underdogs home of the underdogs is a great it looks 100 percent identical to how it did back in like the 90s <laughs> it's beautiful Good. i remember being very bad at 4d prince of persia which apparently 4d prince of persia is like a more difficult version of prince of persia so that's probably why i was also very bad at it but i do remember i kept falling into the first like spike trap and i probably fell in there like a few hundred times so so now let's talk so what does yale karate and prince of persia all have in common I don't, I don't know jordan mechner oh so jordan mechner created a karate game and prince of persia while attending yale jordan mechner was born in 1964 and by the 1980s he was attending yale university his mom was a computer programmer in the 1960s and though i've i was listening to a story he was on a podcast uh he actually john romero's podcast oh good and they were interviewing him in regards to his life and like how he got to like designing prince of persia and stuff like that and they were talking about his mom being a programmer and jordan mechner was like you know i was surrounded by like old terminals like computer terminals in the basement from like my mom and dad and like my dad did a lot of business uh, entrepreneuring so he start, started businesses so they had computers from those businesses but they weren't hooked up to mainframes so they were just terminals that weren't working so he was like there was all these computer terminals just in the basement and he actually didn't know that like his mom was a skilled computer programmer even though he was like surrounded by this technology until much much later in his life where he was like oh I, and found out that she was actually a pretty skilled computer programmer um his father uh, is actually a pretty famous psychologist who not only is like recognized pretty uh nationally as like a as a discoverer of some psychological things and uh, we, i have 
no basis of ground to talk about the psychology that he discovered or stuff like that. I just know he developed like certain things throughout it. His father was also a concert level pianist, a painter who specialized in portraits, a USCF rated chess master, spoke, I think, like six languages. Uh, Once again, nationally recognized psychologist and also had a pretty large foundation and many many different companies that he started i think four of them of which even uh jordan his brother david uh serves as the ceo of one of them and his father still alive at 91 wow good for him so now back to Jordan. While at Yale, Jordan really fell in love with programming and created multiple video games that he programmed on the Apple II, which nice. was popular in that time when he was attending the early 80s. Now, success is usually built on failure. And Jordan did create some games that weren't Prince of Persia and Karateka. And he ended up having creating those games. He sent them to publishers, and they were denied. Those games that he actually submitted were Asteroid Blaster and Death Bounce. Now, Asteroid Blaster was submitted to Hayden Software, which is a a software arm of uh, Hayden Books, which was a publisher of computing books back in the 80s. Okay. Uh, They didn't want to have anything to do with Asteroid Blaster. Death Bounce was submitted to Broderbund and was declined. Both of these were kind of riffs on asteroids. Okay, that makes sense by the name. So... Uh, Death Bounce was using some more abstract elements instead of being like a spaceship. You were like a weird symbol and you were shooting like balls instead of asteroids, but similarly still the same concept. And Broderbund actually is a pretty successful game publisher who uh, ended up actually being pretty nice to Jordan and Broderbund will later go on to create Carmen Sandiego and many other games. After about two years, Jordan finished working on a game called Karateka in 1984, and Broderbund accepted this game and published it. Now, fun fact, Broderbund gave Jordan a copy of Choplifter, uh, one of their games, as a consolation prize for submitting Death Bounce, but not being accepted. And Choplifter inspired Jordan so that he could create video games on completely unique premises. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. I like that. I like that Broderbund was like, hey, great game. It's bad. Want to see a good game? (laughs) I like that the way that I interpret this is that, you know, Broderbund's like, yeah, you need some work here. Look at this. And Jordan is like, oh, this game is not Asteroids. (laughs) Wait, there are games that aren't Asteroids. He's like, "You you could make video games on not taking existing video games and making them into something else. You can just make a unique video game and the like light comes on and Jordan's like, man, I'm just going to make whatever I want. Well, and he did. We should say sort of unique because Jordan did use some of the graphic assets from Choplifter when he created Karateka. But it's an entirely different game. It is. not Choplifter. No, no, no. And I'm sure Broderbund didn't care that much. I mean, they they bought the game, so... So using some of the uh, graphic assets in Choplifter, Jordan created Karateka, a karate-themed game. He was inspired to make this because he had a newly found interest in karate, which he was taking lessons in. He was also inspired by his studies in film, because he was uh, studying filmmaking at the time. The gameplay mechanic was fighting. However, Jordan felt that it was story-driven, and that the fighting was just a component in the game. Which, I've played Karateka, and I can see. Um, So Karateka starts out with a kind of like cutscene where you see this martial arts person has kidnapped someone and this other guy is is trying to save that person. So there's like a little cutscene at the beginning where the guy shows that there's someone kidnapped and then the guy the your character your character shows up and then you kind of have to fight off one person at a time. And it kind of plays like an old like Bruce Lee movie. Um, a lot of Bruce Lee movies, they come off like that, where it's like Bruce Lee takes on one guy at a time or a couple guys at a time. 
to save the day. Karateka probably deserves a more in-depth dive, but it was very successful for both Jordan and Broderbund. It hit the Billboard magazine sales chart at the second spot of July of 1985, right after Flight Simulator 2, and would become Broderbund's best-selling Commodore game by the end of 1987. By the year 2000, Karateka sold over 500,000 units, and uh, it was also ported over to other systems besides the Commodore. It was available on the Apple, it was available on the NES, it was available on MS-DOS. I mean, Karateka has spread. (laughs) So now, today we're here to talk about Jordan's game that he developed after Karateka, which took up three more years of development, which in that game is Prince of Persia. Broderbund was already lined up to published this game because of the success to Karateka. So Broderbund didn't necessarily tell Jordan to make Karateka 2. They were really just interested in Jordan making Karateka 2. They were like, Jordan, this game is obviously a very successful seller for us. We love it. We will give you money and we'll publish your next game. Whatever that may be, we're hoping Karateka 2. And Jordan's like, I hear your hopes, but I'm going to make a game that's a little different. And that game is Prince of Persia. So both Karateka and Prince of Persia were coded in 6502 assembly language, which the Apple II um, was able to use. The Apple II and a bunch of 8-bit computers at the time and also various video game systems ran on 6502 processors. 6502 assembly language is the language that you use to communicate with that 6502 processor. For anyone who doesn't really, might not understand uh, early computer programming, a lot of times computers would work using obviously a microprocessor, but sometimes they would have a language built on top of the microprocessor, such as BASIC, which was a language that could be interpreted on an Apple II. BASIC is very, very slow. You never want to program a game in BASIC because it will run very, very slowly. So if you want to program a game to run at the best speeds on something like the Apple II or the Commodore 64, you have to program it in assembly language because then it's running right off of the microprocessor. It's just doing everything it needs to do at the top speed. There's no interpretation that the computer needs to do to determine the code and translate it into 6502. But like nowadays, the computer has the speed where it can just figure it out you're not you're not bottlenecked you don't need to put it on your processors right nowadays we tend to not build video games off of assembly language for a processor uh, we, <laughs> we build them in what are called engines um which um we have modern computers that can do things much faster than the apple II can <laughs> but back yeah. then back then you wanted to put it on to, you you wanted your games to be a small and b fast i mean and you didn't and a small i don't mean with like less amount of code i mean when you programmed a game in basic it was usually a larger sized file like a larger sized game in terms of space than a game in 6502 um so if you wanted to like fit a game on one floppy disk, you probably would choose 6502. We actually, we, um, we, there's a, uh, homebrew group called the 6502 collective and they do homebrews for the NES, which also used a 6502 microprocessor. Prince of Persia and Karateka were both ported, as we mentioned to various other systems as by the time Prince of Persia was released, people weren't really using the Apple II anymore. It was 1989. So things like, the Macintosh were out and Windows was just around the corner. So people were playing on bigger and better systems and uh, and the Apple II was on the out and out. So Prince of Persia takes place in Persia <laughs> and it specifically takes place in Persia of the Middle Ages. You play as a prince. Maybe. I'm pretty sure you're a prince. I mean, you're a prince in the later games. Yes, but there's nothing that specifically says you're a prince. Yeah, it's true. It's specifically, yeah, your, your protagonist isn't named. Uh, he just kind of like... It does stuff. (laughs) And the ultimate boss in the game is a Grand Vizier, who is a wizard named Jafar. (laughs) No, no, no. His name is Jaffer. Is it pronounced Jaffer? Well, so the wizard in this game is J-A-F-F-A-R. The wizard in Aladdin is J-A-F-A-R. So I think, for the purpose of this podcast, his name is now 
Jaffer, <laughs> not to be confused with Jafar. <laughs> so yes, yeah, we're gonna. Re- I guess we'll refer to him as Jaffer because that doesn't <laughs> want people to get confused with the Disney character Jafar, who came out later. So it's not like they were ripping him off. If anything, Disney that's ripped true. off Prince of Persia. <laughs> I know that's what I'm wondering. Well, anyway, he could be. He could be either or. He could be Jafar. And it's fine. You gotta rescue a princess who was captured by Jafar or Jaffer. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Disney. Get Bob on the phone right now and tell him to apologize to Jordan for ripping off his game. In the game, the character needs to escape the dungeons, progress through the castle, get to the tower where the princess is being held, and fright Jaffer. You go through all these different various traps and puzzles such as like pits of death and uh, spike traps and various different things that are difficult to get past. I, so here's the question that I have to raise. So the princess is locked in a tower. So Jafar or Jaffer wishes to lock people in the... T- he locks the princess in the tower. He takes the prince or, you know, some guy and locks him in the, a dungeon where there are like traps and spikes. And if you have a place that's like a dungeon, why don't you just put everybody in there? Like, is it like, why would you lock people separately from like detach them? Like, Maybe it's like a pr- chronic problem that this prince gets out of jail and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to separate you guys because otherwise this will be a really short thing. <laughs> and like Jafar works for the, the, like that's the Jafar's like an employee of the tower. Like he knows what's up. Why is he kidnapping? the princess is there a coup going on there is a there is a coup (laughs) okay that's why that's why that's why that's why he's that's why he's evil (laughs) the princess the prince of persia music is is really fun very classic um and if you like it then as a fun fact for you jordan's dad composed the soundtrack for both karateka and prince of persia which is awesome there's a whole family business going on. That guy loves helping his, his sons. Yeah, he does. That's awesome. Now, the animations in Prince of Persia are unique for the game. And that's because the sprites were animated using rotoscope technology in order to make those sprites realistic looking and fluid. And I think it actually really, really helps and helps Prince of Persia stand up today. Now, rotoscoping is where an animator traces over a motion picture footage frame by frame so that the action is realistic. So when they take those assets that they just drew, however many pictures that has to be, as you draw like a horse galloping frame by frame by frame, and you flip through it, the horse will look like it's actually galloping because it's drawn second by second, essentially, over time. So the animation will be more fluid. In Prince of Persia, there is a significant amount of platform jumping in the game. And the prince makes this very, very iconic prince running, leaping, and grabbing on the ledge and like scrambling up the ledge, which in if you've seen it in Prince of Persia, you know what I'm talking about. The way he the prince runs, stops, kind of sometimes skips a bit, and it looks it's all very human-like. And that's because he took footage of his younger brother David in white clothing running and jumping and the footage is still out there and Jordan has put it on the internet so that you can see footage of a young David Mechner who is now a CEO running in some like white billowy clothes to and then scrambling up walls the sword fighting was actually taken from the adventures of robin hood and rotoscope the same similar way there's a final duel scene in the 1938 film which where thankfully for jordan's sake the camera is set in exact profile for the actors so the way that they set the camera up before the filming of the sword fighting was so that the the two fighters would be in profile so that he was able to rotoscope them pretty easily and use those animations everywhere in the game for the fighting sequences now rotoscoping at the time for video games was a hundred percent a novel idea yeah, yeah people didn't rotoscope for video games jordan who attended yale film and thus was familiar with rotoscoping because they did it in the film industry did it not because he was trying to be innovative he did it because he wanted lifelike movement in his game, but he knew his drawing skill wouldn't be able to get there. So 
at least to the quality that he really wanted to get it to. So he was like, I'm just going to use a rotoscope because he was familiar with it because he had the luxury of being a Yale film student and probably had some sort of rotoscope lab available. And I think it's like really novel of him because as Seth mentioned, rotoscoping has been a thing in films for years. I mean, it goes back to the thirties with like Disney, but even to this day, we use rotoscoping. I think Amazon has a show called Undone, which is entirely done with rotoscoping. But video games nowadays use something called motion capture or mocap, which really is the logical digital progression of rotoscoping. It's very much the same idea. In mocap, you are recording someone. In this case, they have a bunch of like tennis balls on their body, but you're recording someone to capture their movement so that you can make the project that you're making, be it an animation or a video game, look realistic and have fluid motion. Um, so, yeah, I think it is really cool. I mean, he essentially like was the like prototypical mocap guy <laughs> for video games. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it, it was. And I just like that it, it came because of like, he's like, I'm just not that great of a drawer. Like, he's like, my artist skill is not that great. So like, I'm just going to be, I guess, not necessarily lazy about it because rotoscoping is involved and has a lot of work, but I'm going to use this tool to assist me. And I think that's it's kind of cool how he did that. Now, the game itself was timed. Uh-huh. And the only you could only save in the game once the second level was beaten. So if you didn't get past the second level, you couldn't even save the game. But if you couldn't get past the second level, then like you're going to be in for a rough time. Uh, and the, that, the reason before the timing of the, the entire game was that... Jafar, or Jaffer, who is the evil Grand Vizier, has taken power from the Sultan because the Sultan is gone fighting a war, so he's absent. And the Grand Vizier needs to marry the princess to solidify his power base, because that's a thing, I guess. I'm, so I'm not she familiar has... with coups. <laughs> <laughs> so she has one hour, or she will be killed. And instead of locking her in the dungeon... He locks her in the tower. I guess so in case she decides that she says, yeah, I want to marry you. She's there in the tower ready to go. That makes sense. Now, I'm just so like, all right, my big question here. So we got Jafar, Jaffer, the Grand Vizier. I assume if he's a Grand Vizier, he's got some modicum of intelligence, right? He has to be somewhat smart to be able to become a Grand Vizier. And he's also a wizard. So he's he's like he can I think he can use magic. So. He's got to be smart, right? Why is he only giving her an hour? And like, what's his game plan after she's dead? If she needs her to marry her, like, you know, if it all like, like if she's dead, does he just just is he just like, all right, I'm just gonna kill everybody? <laughs> like, is I think he's working off the Michael Scott logic, where Michael Scott does that apology video and then he ends it by saying, "You have one hour," and Jan goes, "They have one hour," and he goes, "You always give them an hour." Right. You you have to. This is just you always give them an hour. Yeah. So or 120 minutes for the SNES. <laughs> uh so yeah, Prince of Persia has 12 levels and uh some console ports do have more levels. The game also as Seth mentioned had a 60 minute timer and some con- uh, some ports had a longer timer. For example, the Super Nintendo version had a 120 minute timer. Uh since it is a little bit of a harder game and the levels are a little bit longer the character's health is represented by some triangles and you start off with three and if the character takes some minor damage such as uh, getting stabbed which i would consider more than minor but in this game it's minor (laughs) uh, falling a short distance or getting pegged by a rock which these are all minor apparently i consider these catastrophic injuries (laughs) one of the triangles gets taken away you can just flat out die if you fall far enough which little zach learned when he played 4d (laughs) prince of persia for ms dos because i just kept on dying Uh, there are various power-ups and they can grant you more triangles or restore or even take away a triangle which is not a power up <laughs> but that's, that's a poison that's that's just sad and they are the forms of potions as well there is a potion that can give you temporary ability to hover which that's a wild potion <laughs> like or maybe or maybe the prince is just picturing himself he's just, hovering. He gets real high and he has a good time. If the player loses all the triangles, the prince dies and starts from the beginning of the stage where they died. However, the timer does not go back. So the penalty for dying is losing time. There are no live counters, um, but 
if time does run out, the princess is gone and the game is then again over. So uh, this this will vary depending on the versions that you play. Uh, but at least in the original, the idea was that if you die too many times, you would now no have you would no longer have time to save the princess. Because well, I mean that no, you're dying is consequentially you're there's no time. I feel like time time in this game is it's an illusion, arbitrary. <laughs> no, it just goes on. It doesn't care whether you die or not. You could you could also lose the game because it doesn't necessarily mean if you die. If you just left the game running for sixty minutes, you lost. Seth, that's really poetic. Just what you said. <laughs> time does not care if you die. The DOS version allows the player already in the very late part of level twelve to continue after the time is out with no extra life. So restarting the level by pressing the appropriate buttons is not death, thus not failing the game yet. Any player's death, including having killed Jafar or Jaffer, then falling from excessive floors of heights also fails the game, in which case the princess is also gone. Only defeating Jaffer and exiting level 12 alive will still save the princess with a negative time score in the Hall of Fame. Right. That's complicated, but I like it. Well, that's how if you want if you want to get a negative Hall of Fame and you're playing the DOS version, that's how you do it. So the Macintosh version plays a little differently. If you reach level 12 with some time left, you cannot get a game over from your time running out, which is, you know, a nice little feature. In the Super Nintendo remake, it gets even better because the prince doesn't even need to care because he could just leave if the princess is dead. <laughs> so he's just like, hey, I made it. He's out of there. And within the game itself, there are three types of traps. As Zachary mentioned, there were deep pits. There was also spike traps and guillotine traps that, and all of these, as we mentioned, kill you instantly. Uh, there were also gates throughout the game that raised based on triggers within the level and stayed only open for a short time and you needed to run to get through the gate before the gate closed. In the first stage, you actually get a sword and the guards and uh, Jafar, Jaffer, they become obstacles that need to be fought. And you're able to advance on them. You can back off. You can slash, parry, or parry slash. And those are your kind of attack options against them. Uh, enemies also have health levels. They get blue triangles where you have red triangles. And your objective is to slash them enough to make their blue triangles run out. Uh, the various levels also have specific traps or mechanics within themselves. So you may encounter some skeletons in level 3. Uh, magical doppelgangers in later levels where you actually have to fight yourself at some point in time and the 12th level ends up always being the most difficult and complicated as it should be being the end that culminates in a fight with Jafar Jaffer himself and once the ultimate bad guy is defeated princess is saved what ends up happening is whatever time is remaining becomes your score so and gets put up in the in the game as like your high score or low score i guess if you have a negative i thought that was kind of a unique element instead of giving you lives it just gives you time and time becomes a very pivotal thing in the prince of persia franchise ah like in sands of time sands of time where you're able to reverse or push forward time and i think that all ties back to time being a big component of these early games where it was literally your score if you could get through the game fast enough to talk about the numbers as we do when we do the talking about sales receptions and all of that this is prince of persia is actually one of my favorite type of game to talk about because when it launched it had really positive critical reception but was when it launched a commercial failure. It launched for the Apple II and the IM, uh, IBM PC, and, and by July of 1990, about a half a year after its release, it had sold 7,000 copies. Nice. Now, success was just around the corner, though, for Jordan and Broderbund, and when the game was released in Japan in July of 1990 on the NEC PC 9801, the version sold 10,000 units the day of release. September had a European release in 1990, and by 1993, when Jordan came back from his hiatus from video game development, where he traveled Europe and finished a script that never was produced the game had sold two million units nice. worldwide <laughs> i like that this he just takes a vacation he comes back in his game that he like 
put together was for fun is like a multi-million dollar multi-million shipped unit hey, that's the dream and it would continue to, to sell units throughout the years um surpassing two million copies sold by the time they uh the second one is released uh the sequel would be coming out in 1993 the shadow and the flame well prince of persia the shadow and the flame 1999 prince of persia 3D. And then 2002, there's Prince of Persia Harem Adventures. 2003, The Sands of Time. 2004, Warrior Within. 2005, The Two Thrones Battles of Prince of Persia. 2006 was the Prince of Persia Trilogy release, which was the previous three games released in one box. Uh, 2007 was Prince of Persia Classic. 2008 was Prince of Persia The Fallen King. 2010 was The Forgotten Sands. 2013 was The Shadow and the Flame, which is a remake of the 1993 version. 2018 was Prince of Persia Escape. And 2021... They're remaking Sands of Time, the 2003 version. Heck yeah. So uh, currently the Prince of Persia is published by Ubisoft and is also being developed by Ubisoft Games. It has moved on from Broderbund. It was owned by, it was developed a little bit by Red Orb at some point in time, Avalanche Software, and then it transitioned in over to the Ubisoft. Fun fact, Broderbund becomes the learning company so at one point in time the learning company published prince of persia games also fun fact prince of persia was one of those many video games that had the beautiful opportunity to become a film thanks to the 2010 walt disney movie prince of persia the sands of time starring jake gyllenhaal as the prince of persia that movie was also a commercial failure at first still is (laughs) prince of persia is one of those properties that people tried to milk for all that it was worth especially if you could realize when there's a series of video games being released year after year after year and then they bundle the three years to get like you're just pushing content out and it's not necessarily good content i remember when i was really excited about sands of time and warrior within and i think i picked up at least warrior within and i played through it thinking that thinking that warrior within and sands of time would be similar to prince of persia 3d so i was kind of rolling on my nostalgia but littler seth really didn't understand like how games can like transition from owner to owner to owner and each owner makes a game a little different so that's going to be our prince of persia series a pretty successful franchise if not oversaturated a little bit but probably in due time we'll we'll probably see a new another prince of persia game because it's still got some it still has some brand recognition so zach are you ready to talk about what you are excited about buying waiting or passing oh seth i'm i I am ready so the game that i am excited about buy waiting or passing on is a game called the great ace attorney chronicles from capcom the great ace attorney chronicles is a kind of like prequel i guess you could say to the ace attorney franchise or the phoenix wright games which are a series of adventure games where you play as a ace attorney who is uh, very good at his job of solving crimes and and litigating those crimes in court (laughs) so uh in this version, it's set in a slightly earlier period of time where you are immersing yourself in a, in a dramatic yet charming and witty world of evidence gathering, deduction, and courtroom battles as you play as a rookie lawyer named Ryonosuke. In The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, um, one of the best things about it, to me, is that there is an English detective in this game, Seth. A English yes. Victorian age detective who is the best of his class he is mr holmes oh no he's mr sholmes oh mr sholmes (laughs) so this english detective known for his rapid fire deduction and reasoning is named herlock sholmes oh that sounds like sherlock holmes it does and you might be thinking to yourself zach isn't sherlock a public domain character that we can just use if we want to well, Seth, he is, but only certain versions of Sherlock are public domain. You see, a fun fact that I learned from the announcement of the great Ace Attorney Chronicles is that the Arthur Conan Doyle estate, Arthur Conan Doyle being the original writer of the Sherlock Holmes stories, still owns certain Sherlock Holmes stories. And these specific stories that are still under the estate of Arthur Conan Doyle are stories that portray sherlock in a more funny 
reflective and sympathetic way, whereas his earlier stories that are now in the public domain often portray Sherlock as kind of like abrasive and a little distant emotionally and kind of a jerk. Obsessed with cocaine. Yeah, so these these ones that are actually not in the public domain are ones that you could argue d- d- display Sherlock as someone more uh, maybe affectionate and friendly. Meaning that that version of Sherlock, if you want to have a friendly Sherlock, is technically under copyright. In fact, Enola Holmes, a movie that recently came out on Netflix and is based on a book, was brought to court by the Arthur Conan Doyle estate due to the portrayal of Sherlock Holmes being respectful and nice to female characters and also just being a generally more positive version of Holmes um, in portrayal. In the movie, he's played by Henry Cavill, who we really want on our show. In Japan, they don't really have a problem with this copyright issue, so they just call him Sherlock Holmes. But in America, they were like, well, we want to avoid potentially getting targeted by the Conan Doyle estate, so we'll just rename the character. And they did, to Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Anyway, I'm probably going to pass on this game. Uh, so despite the fact that this is a great story, like in terms of like why this one character just happens to be named something else, which is my understanding about why that that's the case. Who knows if that's really what the company was thinking. That's just everything I've read about it so far indicates toward that reasoning. I'm, I'm just not that familiar with the Ace Attorney games. I, I've, I've heard they're great. I, I know that we have friends of the podcast who are fans of them. Um, actually, there's a Twitch channel that I, I go I like to watch every now and then called The Egg and I, and they did a stream of the Ace Attorney games not too long ago. They seem like really fun games. I'm actually surprised Seth isn't interested or at least hasn't played them, considering they are more of like adventure games than anything else. I'm going to pass on this because I would rather play the first few Phoenix Wright games before I start delving into like spinoffs and sequels. I'm sure it's going to be a great game though, from what I've heard of previous Phoenix Wright and Ace Attorney games. So for those of you out there who are fans of the franchise, be sure to look out for the great Ace Attorney Chronicles coming out in July of 2021. It's coming out on the 27th of July. But for now, I'm going to put it down as a pass. If anything changes and I get to play the rest of the Ace Attorney storyline, Maybe I'll switch that over to a buy. The game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on is a game called Going Medieval, which is where you play a colony building simulator, except you're set in the Middle Ages. So you construct a multi-story fortress in in like the wilderness and you have to fight, defend it off against raids and make sure that your villagers are happy as in their lives are shaped and changed as the world moves on it looks really good i i'm like digging it the more that i um look through the screenshots and the the uh, corresponding like videos and playthroughs it looks like a pretty cool game um especially if it plays where you don't control the people directly um and it's kind of like um a true colony simulator where like you have to like do you give them tasks and and have to assign schedules and stuff like that those are always fun um to see if you get it through and it looks like there's different seasons um it looks like a lot of fun kind of like 3d type situation going on it's being developed by foxy voxel and it looks like it's their first game and it's being published by the regular corporation it looks like a a pretty cool game i'm gonna put it down as a wait and i'm just gonna see how what when it comes out it's gonna be out june 1st so yeah going medieval check it out all right awesome and with that, that's going to be the end of our episode. So I'm going to quickly go through how to contact us, listen to us, and support us. So you can contact us by sending us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also send it to Seth at Classic Gaming Brothers or Zach at Classic Gaming Brothers or Classic Gaming Brothers at classicgamingbrothers.com. Send us the email. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you liked about the episode, don't like about the episode. And if you do so, we'll put you in a drawing for winning a free game from a list of games that we already have anyway that's how you can contact us you can also go to our website classicgamingbrothers.com go to our contact us and fill out the form there 
Now, while you're at the website, you can also you can listen to us by going over to the support uh, to going over to the lounge, the main page, and listening to us right there. You can also go over to any of the podcasting apps, and you can just listen to us on whatever you prefer. Uh, we're on all sorts of Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. We're there. Uh, you can listen to us and to support us. Well. You're doing already by listening to us. We really appreciate the listens and you coming back for episode after episode to hear us talk about various video games. You can also let your friends know because more people listening to us will make us be supported more. Let your friends know if they have a commute now that they're going back to the office. Let them know that if they're bored, they can listen to the Classic Gaming Brothers. We release on every Sunday which ends up making sure that we get into your feed by Monday morning. So that's that's there, and that's our commitment for you. And we haven't yet broken that streak. So probably we'll have to break it one day, but that's, that's going to be what we're doing so far. And you can also support us by following us on all of our social media. We have our Facebook. We have our Twitter. We have an Instagram. We have a Twitch. To go through that, our Facebook is at Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Instagram is at Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitch is is at Classic Gaming Brothers. Well, it's actually at twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. And our Twitter is at CG Brothers Pod. So follow, like, share, subscribe, do all those things, ring all the bells, and you'll be supporting us just fine. Uh, If you want to, you can also give us a review on whatever you listen to us on. And that helps us with the, uh, the algorithms, or at least that's what they tell us to say. And with that, Zach, am I missing anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. We've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. right. I just, uh, when the Prince of Persia with that blade comes in.